So the conversation that we were having just as you were joining um, was going over preparing, you know, and we talked about the um, activist sailing conference that Randy and I have gone to um, in Troy, where they bring in like victims and some of the service members um, or uniform members that were there. So, for example, the situation in that elementary in Florida a few years back, like last time Randy and I went to two years ago. They brought some of the police officers there and, and you know, kind of it's it's a training environment. You know, they kind of share their story and you take it firsthand and hear about how they handled it and some of the stuff that you didn't know about because obviously it's fully um, classified stuff. But something that Randy and I started running with was, you know, there was a situation where a police officer, the first on scene, he went back to his car to, you know, gear up because he wasn't wearing his body armor. Um and the mentation there at the time was like, oh, it's hot. You know, like, I'm not going to need this right now. So let me put it away. So we're talking about, like, the fault and flaw of not treating your shift or your situations, your calls that come in as if they are fully, you know, open situations. So, like, Tyler, how many times, and we're going to be um, humble, we're going to be honest, but how many times have you found yourself at fault for like we hear that call and we're like oh man we've been here like almost every week for a fire alarm that ends up being nothing and all of a sudden you open a door and it's it's dark smoke and there you are maybe not you specifically but here here members are getting ready and they're like oh man i gotta actually get to put my mask on gotta put my hood on you know and then you're wasting precious time so if you were to reflect to that idea could you name any situations whether it's ems or fire that you're like yeah, maybe I should have kept that mindset of like treating every situation as its first. Oh, I'm totally on with that. I got like, you know, the old like office quote, Michael Scott. I'm not super. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like I'm a little stitious when it comes to thinking. Just you know, you don't say your regulars' patient name. You don't mm -hmm. even think about them. If you haven't heard from him in a while, I stopped doing this. I stopped, like, if I catch myself going, ah, this is going to be BS. Because every time I do that in my brain, it just turns into uh, the complete opposite. Right. Um, this past week, ran a code. Um, my MFRs and firefighters got on scene. Me and my partner walked to the door. We kind of looked. Yeah, not, not like we weren't going to give it a fair shot. But I've seen this patient before, and I've seen them uh, a lot. You know, they they it's um, they have a lot of health history going on, and the you know I you always look at a code, a cardiac arrest with like a percentage meter, and usually it's going, you know, staying the same or it's going down. You know, or and uh, so we kind of went in with that mentality, and sure is sure it's not uh, things turned around on us because we just kind of figured that it was going to end up sure. like they normally do then all of a sudden we're into a transport situation and it was kind of like oh all yep. right ready to go that one that like that was just recently so and i was just thinking that going through the door this is like yeah this is going to be kind of how they all of these ones sure. that look like this go you know i remember the i think the first time it really got me about preparing and 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 kind of taking a call off, not really taking it off, but just not mentally, because all, all preparation is mental. I mean, obviously, you got to physically have the things in place, but 
to prepare for a call. I remember uh, the one that really got me was a person on fire in a in a in a mobile home park. I'm like, okay, but they they got burnt or something. You know, they they burnt themselves, and that you know usually when fire is involved and there's an injury, it's a little dramatic because it probably went woof and, sure. and burn them. And uh, it's kind of a known address, and walked through the door, and it looked like it looked like a cartoon, you know, the 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 person, you know, standing there, but he's just blackened, and I was just like, oh my goodness, you know, sure, to take the immediate step that times you walk in a call, and there's just an immediate thing you got to do, hey, quick here, you know, and I was so that's that's a good. I've been enough to, to just about thinking, thinking one way, thinking negatively, or thinking um, complacently about a call. I'll probably maybe over it. Amen. Over exaggerate Amen. it. No, <laughs> it's great. Come in it's, too uh, hot and slow down then, than the other way around. True. Complacency, you know, and that could be so. with yourself um, as a crew, as your you and your partner, or it could just be other members who have been on these calls recurring and they're kind of you you kind of they kind of brush off that complacency on you and for me there was a situation i remember um a little earlier in my paramedic career but you know we we had a local afc home an adult foster care home that we would go to this individual um if not once twice a week and just he had a tendency of swallowing objects so batteries and, you know, pens and random stuff that he could get his hands on. That was his risk. Um, he would swallow things, and then they would kind of get a little bit lodged in his airway, and but able to maintain. Um, you could cough it up, stuff like that. So I had been on this individual maybe twice already before, but I remember the, the tone dropped, and we get called there again, and we automatically know who it is because they say the age and the situation. We're like, okay. We know it is. And the other crew that was there, you know, they had gone to this person frequently way before me. And they already had the mentation of like, oh, not again. This guy, like, we already know. Like, it's it's the middle of the night. Like, okay. And I was like, oh, it's my turn. I'll take it. No big deal. Um, but I think that toxic um, complacency rubbed off on me um, because I had the mindset of like, okay, well, this is going to be another situation. It's going to be cake and whatnot. I get there, and um, you know he's complaining the same thing. Like he, he just doesn't feel good in his chest. You know, so my first thing was like, All right, what, what did you ingest?" You know, and he tells me nothing. He just he feels this pain in his chest. So I'm like, mm, "Okay." And I remember even before I made contact with the patient, the staff of the AFC home, you know, immediately they were like, "Well, we can't get a hold of family, and we don't want you to take them until we get confirmation from family." And uh, we just want you to check them out so, like, it's kind of off our responsibility. And I'm like, uh, okay, sure. Um, that's not right, but I'm, gonna, I'm here to do my job. But you could tell that everybody around me was kind of brushing it off. Even my partner kind of had that, like, you know, was like, oh, let's just let's do what we're thinking and, and get out of here. Um, but to me, it was like, all right, well, <laughs> it's my name on that report. I'm going to do everything as I should do. Um, so I had to kind of break that habit. And I'm doing the 12 lead, every diagnostic tool we have, even a blood sugar, see everything. 
Um, he's still complaining of chest pain. He's getting anxious, so I'm kind of coaching him down. He won't take his meds, so the staff is trying to coach him down as well. But the staff is very adamant, saying that they don't want him going anywhere um, until they get family. Still haven't been able to get family um, contacted. I can't find anything. I even called my doctor, you know, that my, my local um, med director, and was just like, hey, what do you want us to do? This is what we got. And uh, I remember the same thing through him and the hospital staff was like, well, I, he, maybe he just swallowed something again, and obviously it's just a little irritated, and he may have coughed it out, you know, because this patient's not very communicative. He's not really going to tell you everything. I was like, okay, well, it's it's up to you. You know, I've found everything. There's nothing on the 12 lead. There's nothing on the on the nothing going on with the heart that I could see. Um, so I get signed off. Still can't get a hold of, of, of family. So I make staff sign. Um, I get released. Doctor's okay with that. And the minute we pull back into our bay, like park, tones drop again. Full rest. Next crew goes because it's their turn. You know. They get there, they work them. It was a Sicily. So my mind thought was like, oh man, now I feel bummed. Like, did I do something wrong? Did I not assess well enough? Should I have taken this a little more serious and like made staff allow me to take this patient to the hospital regardless of the situation? Should I just have sat down with the patient and be like, what do you want me to do? If you want to go, you go. You know, but unfortunately he couldn't make his own decisions legally. Um, so I beat myself in the head for a couple of weeks after that. And of course, there's a whole, not investigation, but you know, the doctors want to review everything. And um, our director at that or, um, ambulance company, you know, reviewed my report and followed up with me. And they're like, to be honest, and I even called him. I was like, I, I don't know, like, should I, should I feel like I messed up? And he's like, to be honest, on your report, you wrote everything. You wrote everything you assess, and there's literally nothing that you're missing. No diagnostic stool, or not stool, <laughs> no diagnostic tool. Um, that we would have changed. You you played everything by the it's book. A tough situation. Um, it's a tough situation, you know. But I think what we tend to do, and looking back at it, it's like, would he still be here if I just ignored all that toxic complacency around me and be like, I'm gonna make the call and just say you're my patient and I'm taking you in, and maybe he would still be here. I don't know. Um, but that's the worst case scenario of complacency. And obviously, we see that in every field as well. We see that in law sometimes, um, which will kind of invite ourselves to the next conversation I have here. Um, but we see that on fire. We see people not masking up, you know, for full calls, and all of a sudden they need a hood up, or they they lack the they forget the little steps um, because of complacency, and then they get end up getting hurt or not being able to perform the job, and then because of that, the fire or patient or whatever is even more critical. So. Hopefully, we could make a change in that in our culture. So, but unfortunately, with a lot of things, when it comes to training, we can't. We can influence. We just can't change people's minds until they unfortunately find themselves in that situation that has them change their minds. I would, I would uh, dare to say, you could probably be break it down into two forms of that complacency factor. However, one you just described is kind of yes. the wear down. So you can be a leading expert in your field, but eventually something will wear you down. You know, it, 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 it and it's completely to your environment. So to watch out for the people around you, you're not being nice to other people by it. You don't have to call them out, but just identifying the people around you and what their, you know, tensions are and how it's going to affect how you do your job. 
the second one I think what goes back to that whole preparation is just people who just never have never pushed themselves, never prepared themselves. And they just keep scooting by, scooting by until they're put in the sure. you know front stage on a call. You know. Now, who's um, who's to take blame for that? Is that had, an individual? Uh, we, the one uh, we've had a guy firefighter before, for example, for that is just the the I knower guy, the new guy oh, yeah. who says I know to everything. It, 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 and then you in the mm. back of your brain, you go, "Do you really know?" So you know, do you just string him along if he know if he's saying he knows, and usually it ends up like i said him on the front stage and taking a patient or him having to kind of direct a task off a fire scene or police and then not really knowing and then he has not prepared himself mentally or whatever at the time it be those are the two areas to watch is, is your environment and then that and that that lack of preparedness and maybe not even on you might be on you you know that goes back to way back to our episode last episode or so the the two in two out you know you got to be responsible for yourself and your preparedness and your complacency but you also got to keep an eye to who's going in with you because i to be honest i you know i i want to go home i want to go see my kids (laughs) and it might rely on the guy or the girl walking in by me you know or in front of me so absolutely true I don't let pride I know guys okay can you back too. off please <laughs> uh, you're all right Randy <laughs> no it's uh it's very true but I guess no. just quickly though I mean who's who's at fault during these situations is it the individual is it the partner and crew or is it the organization that you know doesn't reflect or push the pen into that complacency and be like this needs kind of sounds to, like a whole uh, system breakdown it. um I'm sorry that nurse mm-hmm staff doesn't get to tell me how to do my job just like I don't get to tell them how to do their job we can't get a hold of family what's what's the best interest right. of that patient uh, and it, honestly it probably would have been easier just to get him to the hospital wouldn't have like just get him out there um, and, and, and that's not necessarily the correct answer for all cases either because then the hospitals really don't appreciate that just bringing in shit that they don't need but it's uh, you're you're kind of put in a, a tough situation there. But luckily, you you handled it very well. Sure. Yeah. Well, there's covering your bases per the report, and there's covering the bases for your conscience. And I think, I think you covered the bases for your conscience' sake. But I don't. You can't. You can't control the results. The end game. You know. So, and that's that's the part you get stuck with. You know, and that's part of the job. Not just part of the job. I I was. When things are unfortunate, things don't go the way you want, you know, they're accidents and disasters for a reason, you know, because they weren't planned and, and they weren't anticipated. And so when things don't go your way, as long as you've done everything consciously you can do and then try to do everything, yep. you know, report wise, you can do to cover all your bases. But So this leads into a subject that I want to introduced because i know we talk about like current events and stuff like that and uh i'm sure this is gonna be a little touchy um because it's fairly new and there's a lot of political and uh, sides of this instance Um, but are you both aware of what happened in um the suburban minneapolis shooting of the police officer not of the police but the police officer shooting just uh, the guy in the car real brief version of it i didn't have a chance to investigate it further. 
Sure. Um, so there was a traffic stop that happened in Minneapolis. And, um, you know, the individual came out. Uh, one of the officers that made the traffic stop um, had hands on him and was getting ready to um, arrest him. I believe there may have been some warrants out. At least that's what was said on the uh, video. Um, and then individual, as soon as he knew that he was being get ready to be handcuffed, he went back in the car. Um, one of the police officers that was there um, started to interact and assist, um, preventing him from driving off called taser 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 went all through the steps and it wasn't a taser in her hand it was a gun and fatally shot this individual um as the individual still had a chance to drive off she even acknowledged it was like oh i just shot him and it is a 26 year old veteran like 26 years on the job who made this mistake and there's a lot of clash in this conversation um there's a lot of sides to this conversation a lot of people are saying this is negligence a lot of people are saying this is intention um because of a racial situation or a situation whatever it is um but her and the department are saying that like it's truly accidental you know because she went through all the steps she acknowledged to the other police officer she was going to tase him she went to the steps of saying taser 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 and then pulled the trigger and it was a gun um unfortunately her life was lost you know that is the ultimate worst case scenario and i don't know how do we how do we break this situation down in reference to training you know i, I looking at the video and i encourage you both to maybe watch at some point um, because at the end, I, I think towards the end and people's reaction to their mistakes could show the genuine, um, real realism of their mistake. And they, 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 you know, whether it's, I don't think she meant to, is what I'm saying. I don't think she truly meant to kill this individual, but it was an obvious mistake of tensions are up. Your adrenaline is kicking. You draw, you call a taser and it ends up being a gun. But how do you reflect upon the, um, complacency whether it's training or whatnot that your taser is in the opposite side of your holster or your opposite side of your belt the weight's different the mechanism's different you know the position is different how would the two of you reflect upon this and possibly state could have been prevented what was the city that was in or i guess what are your thoughts uh, i believe it was brooklyn center i can't I can't speak to the case specifically, you know, obviously, because I, I just don't do that to current events because I've heard of some of the sure. news articles, but that's their version. There's always right. their version, the other version, and then the truth. So, but, but exactly what we, I think lack, not to step away from your question, I'll answer it. What we lack, I think, society wise, is the ability to look at the story. Both ways, it's going to get portrayed because, you know, it's going to get portrayed both ways prior to any uh, legal counsel. And uh, everybody just emotion jumps on it. But nobody looks at the similarities between the stories like this is exactly what we know. Both sides have said that. That's that's pretty factual until proven otherwise. You know, and, and how do you prevent it? So if you take the, the that individual case out of it and you look at 
basically back to that whole the the concept of grabbing the wrong thing you know and, and the consequences of what you're doing in, in your job you know sometimes you got to think about that obviously yeah you go to the range when you're in law enforcement and you practice and you 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 make yourself muscle memory of all that stuff but you practice on the consequences of what you're doing because it's and then not just because of the firearm thing it's no different than a medic picking up the wrong vial you know that, that yes. it, it, it's Absolutely the same perfect. thing truthfully but it's it's different consequences you know that's that's the hard part about all things bad in this world is we want to just hate them the most but the consequences are always different between them you know so you know and it's no different than a medic picking up the wrong drug um I'm sure there's plenty of things, not for a specific example with firefighting, that they can do, you know. It's just understanding the consequences of your tasks. We're we're very good at um, coming up with scenarios, trainings, and philosophy-based stuff. Like, we're going to do this because we do this. But to sit back and say, how does that, you know, how how does mishandling this aspect of our job consequences and everybody will go into the what ifs what ifs what ifs but it's truly like if you grab your gun instead of your taser you're probably going to kill somebody (laughs) you grab the wrong drug you're probably going to cause them more harm you know or potentially kill them as well so you know i don't know if there's an aspect in training or in certifying people where that gets you know drawn because there's a human element to it and that's the hard part is the human mistakes usually always come out in the most, you know, human moments and an altercation between two and, you know, law enforcement and, and, you know, a suspected uh, criminal at that point, a suspect, you know, that's a very human moment. <laughs> Another species Absolutely. on this planet does that. <laughs> it's human. And that's where the nope. mistakes come. So. I don't know. I'd have to circle right. back to your, basically the last topic for complacency and training, but it's it's more of um, taking the human aspect and taking the consequent aspect and then applying to, to what you're doing. You know, when you go and put your belt on for the millionth time, you know, with all your gear on it, do you do a muscle memory check, feel everything on it and just see how it is? Or do you set it up for, you know, the way you know you're going to make the least amount of error in, in high stake situations, like setting up an ambulance, you know, a company sure. wants it to be this way, but you were very uh, different. Do you normally, when we got shift, we did our truck check, but then you started moving stuff around. Yeah. That was a qua- good quality trade Absolutely. because you just wanted the stuff that you, in your set way. So. I remember, I'm, I'm surprised you remember that. <laughs> yeah. I was very unique about how my ambulance was set up. You know, I had very specific way how I wanted the sheets to be on that stretcher and the kits behind me, you know, because it's my muscle memory. And, and right now for the next 24, 48, however long I'm on the shift, this is my ambulance. It is my name on the on the paperwork. It is my patience. Like, I, yeah, okay, I get the organizations. And I remember getting some clash for some individuals saying, hey, you're, why are you changing up the ambulance? It's like, are you on it? And they're like, no. Like, then it's none of your business. You know, like, unless I do something, you know, st- stupid where it's dangerous, I get that. But 
Right now, it's my myself and my crew and my partners. Yeah. So, you know, and I think some of the argument and um, Randy, you pitch in whenever you want. You're still looking up the actual case, but some of the argument they have here is that a taser and the difference between a taser and a gun. Okay, we understand what it does, but how it's handled. You know, and they talk about how police chiefs, you know, they they pressure their officers to carry on the non-dominant side um, in a different position. The weight's different, you know. But ultimately, looking back at this, and it's hard to play backseat quarterback because we weren't there. You know, I'm not going to say – I'm not going to be the one that I'm going to falter on this. I'm going to say the system's at fault. But, like, why – have you have you guys ever heard a case where uh, an officer is going to say, hey, I'm going to pepper spray you, and they shoot them? No, because the pepper spray is a totally different feel. It's a totally different bottle. It's a totally different trigger. Everything's different. There's no there's no mistake in the two. So why can't we develop a taser that is completely like far fetched from each, from the from the uh, the style or the design of a pistol? You know, I'm sure that's something they're going to be manufacturing here soon. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. It'll be curious to see if it's regulation driven. If they're going to try to pass a bunch of of legislation or laws to to make them to to force manufacturing to do something this way, or if the, just the industry and the culture can just change it. I always prefer that sure. method because I, you know, I just I'd rather just people see that. You know, if departments are just starting to yes. naturally buy whatever shape tasers don't feel like a, a pistol grip or not pistol grip taser you know then obviously they're going to start making those and then you don't even have to pass laws to create that but and then you enforce the training you know it's yeah nobody likes change nobody likes to have to retrain on something when especially when they've been drilled so far on this but if it means like sacrifice and mistake then yeah let's completely shake up the system and develop something new. And I, I forget, I tried looking it up earlier this morning, but once I heard about this situation, I did a little research on it. And there's there's a department out there who specifically have designed or reached out a manufacturer for a design of their tasers that it's not operated by a trigger where you're the same trigger finger. In fact, it's a trigger in the handle that you use with your thumb. So there's absolutely no, they're just that, that one difference. There's absolutely no mistake into it, you know. But again, should we just overall change the design and and training and muscle memory, you know, like working, starting your shift? Do you do you take the time to really check out your ambulance and make it the way you are perfected with? Should you be holstering your gear and treating it, you know, like this is the first time you're you're connecting everything? Like for me, when I get to the, I don't do it every single time. I'll I'll, I'll admit that. But usually when I get somewhere new at a new location, a new detail of a house, I de-blouse everything, de-take everything out of my pockets that I have in my, my bunker gear and my, my, you know, whatever I carry. And I look at everything and I just remember, I'm like, here's my rescue rope. Here's my carabiner. Here's my shears. Like I just put everything back together as if it's my first day on the job. And it, it reminds myself, A, I'm not only remembering where everything's at, but I'm also looking at the condition of everything. And it's giving me the opportunity. It's pressuring me to be in the opportunity to reassess my, my, my mental habits and my equipment to see if they're perfected for my, for my job, for my day, so to speak. 
But again, those are little things that we could only try to influence others to do. But we're neither of us. Tyler, maybe you, <laughs> maybe now you're at a position where you could kind of put the hammer down and be like, this is what we're going to do every day. But, you know, it's, it's the people that are higher up that are calling the big shots that could change the overall system. But that goes into our podcast we had a few weeks ago or a few whatever months ago um, of like leadership. And do you treat as a leader of an organization? So as a chief or a manager, do you treat it as a business or you treat it as a, a branch, you know, as a, uh, I don't know. What's the term for it? I'm looking Ooh, fancy An orchestration. You had to look that one up. <laughs> Sounded nice. It. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yes. So, what about you, Tyler? What do you What do you think about all this going on? Or, I'm sorry, Randy. I, just I finished watching the body Randy, cam Tyler. footage, and I'm no police officer. I'm just a dumb ambulance driver. Um, but uh, he had an outstanding warrant. He got pulled out of the car. He then resisted arrest, mm -hmm. put the police officers and the general public into. Um, possibly being in danger and she did her fucking job i mean maybe i no she did her job like you don't know what he's going in that car for um like he could have been going in that car to grab anything you know, grab a weapon to speed off hit a pedestrian like they did their jobs she shouldn't have resigned this is this is outrageous and it's outrageous that i'm just now watching this um but he resisted arrest like i don't understand why this is even a even an issue i mean obviously i would maybe minnesota needs to cool it off a little bit um kind of a hot topic up there right now currently but um we're talking about tasers um detroit police department just got their tasers back because they got taken away because they were using them too often so uh the whole i mean when you're in that moment and when's the last time that she's been in a high stress moment like that since the military probably you know what I mean? So, and, and what kind of training do they have? So that's that's all great questions. And yeah, I don't want to backseat backseat quarterback anything, because um, if someone's wrong, I I I want to be told I'm wrong. Uh, that's how we learn. But from what I've seen here, like it looked like a stressful situation, and she looks like she did her job. So uh, back here last summer, there was a shooting here out by Lansing, uh, out by our our my neck of the woods, and. Um, this man uh, on a traffic stop. I'll try to pull it up. And maybe we can like put it on the, on the the page here or whatever. Um, she, um, the guy jumped out of the car and started attacking her with uh, with a knife, and so she shot him. She did her job. Uh, she was in an intimate, 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 imminent uh, life uh, threatening danger uh, to him and, and the uh, and the um, you know local people or whatever. And so she shot him, but it was a white cop and it was a white patient or a white person. So if that would have been a, you know, anybody else, like, would it have made, you know, I don't even think that made national news. I think that just made local news. I don't even think that made it was a big deal. So like, and then now people are protesting in the streets because of this, because right. you arrest, resisted arrest. Get out, quit wasting my time. Like, I don't, this is, maybe I have a bad attitude about that, right. but, um, like, these people who don't know what we do, and I don't, I mean, I'm not a police officer. Maybe someday I will be at some point. That would be an awesome goal. Um, 
but I, wow, are you freaking kidding me right now? Like, this is. So, unfortunately, it's because of current situations that this is why it's blowing up. And I think what, what and I had a conversation with somebody the other day. Um, what pisses me off the most about this is that you hear this explode on the news, but you don't hear anything about the New, Mex- nope. the New Mexico police officer that was killed on the highway. You know what I mean? Not a peep. And nobody's going to question that. No one's going to batter that, you know, because right now police officers have a bad you know, sight. They have a bad spotlight from the community. Um, there, There is a situation I won't go in details yet because it's still way a little too new, but something in Chicago happened, you know, and, and it's it's super unfortunate, super unfortunate. Um, but like I said, it's it's. The minute a life is lost, it's it's going to be questioned. It's going to be dissected. It's going to be pulled apart. But what makes this different is that nobody is really justifying her shooting. Because, again, there was no immediate threat. Yeah, he could have been pulling something out of the car. Yeah, I get it. If I was there, it would be really hard not to have anything drawn. But she made the mistake. She called the mistake, and she even acknowledged. She's like, I, I meant to taser and that was the end yeah, of the but video. Yeah, there's a re- reasonable um, question. I want to stop you there. Um, I would love a law enforcement sure. perspective side on this. Of was she would she have been wrong for trying to taser him? If he if she would have tasered him, and and missed, and or it didn't affect him, and he pulled a gun and shot both of them, then she would have been crucified for not doing her job. Well, you know what makes a crucifixion a crucifixion? Someone died. So, yeah, she could have tasered. How many? This has happened before. Someone's gotten tasered and died from a taser. And that person, that officer, is going to get crucified. You know what I mean? Ultimately, from society, what makes the crucifixion is the loss of a life. Period. And it's unfortunate. They don't they don't bat the, the eye of, like, being there or the stress that police officers go to every single day. You know, whether it's a small town, big town, busy city, whatever it is, they've got to keep their head on a swivel, you know. But for this specific instance, yeah, sure, have something drawn, have someone have something drawn. But the mistake ultimately was she meant to taste. And the fault is not into her or the person that was shot or into the scenario as a whole. It's the system. And it goes back into training. How many times are they actually training with tasers? How many times are they training the muscle memory? How many times is she waking up before shift and really preparing her equipment? You know, like you said, when's the last time she's been in a high where she pressure, prepared her stress, mind? Stressful you know, not, situation, not just her, you know, her equipment. Yes. But yeah, I think that's a reasonable question about you know, last time she was in a, a stressful, stressful situation like that. I think that's that's something to think about. But I didn't want to interrupt you. Keep. Yep. No, you're good, man. It's good. It's all the conversation. It's all all the conversation. And I, it's really hard for any of us to talk unless we're truly there. And that's why it's always hard to talk about the touchy subjects of current events because it's really tough to talk about backseat quarterback stuff just because we, we, we aren't there. And that changes the dynamic. Us being there and being under that kind of pressure and that kind of stress, like, yeah, we can't call the shots. We can't call the decisions that are made because – what if he was, and I, I don't know the full stuff. I don't know if there was a weapon in the car, you know, but what if he was pulling something out? So the current event that happened here, just to give a brief, and we don't, I'm not really going to talk too much about it, but it was, 
a from a fraction of a second, an individual shot. And one image is a hand, a pistol in his hand. The next image is his hands up with no pistol. And in that fraction of a second, the person was shot and killed. But it's causing a lot of tension because it's, you know, of course, the media's picture of news is their hands up with nothing in their hands. But it was known that there was a pistol on scene and the pistol was, in fact, just tossed on the other side of the fence. The guy turned around, had his hands up. And the officer made the decision because he took it as him drawing the pistol towards him. So it's uh, still building, still, grow- still growing. The tensions here, it's, you know, it's what it is. And unfortunately, this, the current situations of society and our um, communities here all over the world is that it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be looked at too properly right now. It's not going to be automatically going to be wrong. And that's a problem. I sent you the link for this. Uh, it was actually Eaton County uh, Sheriff's Department. Right. Um, if you get a chance to look at it or if we can put it up somewhere, hmm. it's, uh, you know, let's kind of play, you know, re- you know, check it out, kind of see what you guys think the, you know, if the rules reversed, if there was a race issue there, like what happens, like what, I mean, if you're automatically going to be wrong, how do you, how do you keep going to your job knowing that you need to protect and serve, but that if you actually do protect and serve, you're going to be just crucified. I got, I don't. I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. Yep. I think I've seen this video, actually. Yeah, I've seen this. And that's true, you know, but he's... It It was... It was if, mistaken me if I'm wrong, but she didn't pull she that trigger right away to get him to on stop. this video. The police officer didn't. You know? Yeah. She tried everything to de-escalate, even though he had a knife in his hand and he was charging her. You know? But uh, I don't know. I'm gonna be for for my uh, for my birthday that just happened. I got a gift called "How Not to Be an Old Grouchy Man." You know what I mean? <laughs> because I tend to be that guy. Who's like, get off my lawn. You know what I mean? Um, I'm gonna try not to be that 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 grouch. But this is the society where we're at. Is that we're we're gonna be judged upon our actions unrighteously so because of everything in the current events so it's tough sure is. it's tough all right i got one more thought and tyler you brought this up in my mind as you were talking about your dirty white helmet <laughs> <laughs> and i said really something dirty. of like oh you gotta you gotta <laughs> but i i said something i was like oh you gotta take the, you gotta take that uh you gotta take that diminished smoke off of it because uh, you got to earn it kind of thing. But then it kind of made me think about like, oh, this is actually a great conversation. What are you guys' thoughts about let's talk about the fire gear or maybe you see it in EMS. But what are you guys' thoughts about gear that some people wear and don't clean because um, it shows experience. So like a dirty helmet, a dirty face mask, a dirty dirty boots, whatever it is that we have. You know, what are you guys' thoughts? I'm like, are you the type of person? You know, like for me, yeah, I'm sure my helmet right now is pretty dirty, unfortunately. But what are you guys' thoughts of like people carrying that mentation of like, oh, I, that shows my history. I want to, I want to have a dirty helmet. I think it's interesting working with some of the Flint City guys that you know they stretch a couple times a shift 
on a structure. So they're those guys are really getting after it. But their stuff is rough. I don't know if they if they don't own a washer and dryer or they they're afraid to wash their stuff. Maybe it's like a spiritual thing. Uh, I'm fine with it until your reflective striping on your helmet. I can't see you. So if you go down in a fire, and I'm you know let's say I'm trying to pull you out, or I'm a neighboring department and I just you know my shit's all clean, ready to go, and I can't see you because you're wearing black gear, and that's a safety issue at that point. Um, besides that, I mean, they're getting after it. I, that's my, my thought process. What about you, Tyler? I think you made a comment, Tyler, last time I saw you about my stuff. And there's a reason why I'm talking about it. I don't remember the comment, but. Oh, uh, you made some comment like, "Oh, your your stuff looks you know bright and new, like it's perfect." You probably have never seen oh, smoke. I, I'm like, "Well, yeah." <laughs> no, it's uh for me. For me, there's a reason behind it that. Sticks out to me with the whole gear, and it's it's basically just how you how you present yourself, and who and but who you care to present yourself to. So we'll just go to the helmet thing, the smoky, leathered, curled up, sure. you know, tarnished thing. Would that maybe be appropriate for an instructor? Yeah, if you're trying to sell your course or sell your ego, I can get on with that a little bit. Um, I don't sell it to new sure. firefighters because that's wrong. But but when you're out in public or just running calls, that that's what it is. You, you're you, I don't you don't need to sell how experienced you are to them because a mom and her two kids aren't going to know that they're going to that like Junior, don't get your picture taken. He's dirty, you know, <laughs> you know, and you. you're <laughs> You present yourself to them. Hey, you know, I look professional, not experienced. They don't, you know what I mean? Pub- public, yep. they don't know firefighting. They don't know what that means. You don't, you can't sell experience to them without them actually being, I'm, you know, experienced. So you got to sell professionalism. That's yeah. just, that's part of your customer care a little bit, you know, treating people like your customers. When I go in your home, uh, it doesn't work other places. You know, if you if you invite a contractor to come work on your house and they show up, you know, looking like a bum, just tore up nasty. I mean, yeah, they might be great contractors, but it's like my initial quote is like, oh, you know, that's that's not what uh, you know what I mean? I don't want that in my you know, that kind of person in my house. It's just dirty, nasty. You know, their trucks garbage. Did I buy this shield and everything, you know? Maybe they do a great job. It's like when you buy something off What's wish.com. That? It's like when you buy something yeah, off wish.com. You know, like I said, but <laughs> these, you know, they can't decipher if you can do a good job or not. You know, maybe that is an experienced person. You know, they don't know that. So sell confidence. Right. Sell it to the public. Sell it to the people you serve. You know, clean ambulances. You know, clean uniforms. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta pipe pipe in here a second. Uh, I usually take about a half hour every morning or evening to get my truck checked out because we hot seat our trucks, so it comes back in. We help them restock, go through it real fast, and we get going. Well, I'm, I always leave a truck, you know, just like I would want to go right back out in it. That's that's my personal, 
make sure the trash is taken out, make sure it's restocked. Um, that's not the oncoming crew's problem to have coming into a dirty, unkept truck. Um, and this is an everyday thing. I actually get yelled at for taking too much time getting this truck checked out. Uh, and I, like, uh, I respect our supervisors. I really do. They work hard. They're a good, good group of guys and gals. Um, but that's my license on the line, guys. Like, it's it's not, this isn't up for negotiation. Yes. Like, if you want me to go do this job, you're either A, going to make the off-going crews do their jobs, um, or B, have extra trucks laying around and have people stock these trucks so that where you can get in and go. Um, and I know that they're working on both those issues, uh, but they've been working on it since I've been at this uh, current uh, sure. establishment. So, you know, one one step at a time. But uh, uh, yeah, there's an organization uh, that actually hires porters, and that's their job. Is you know, every before ship before a crew comes in to get their ambulance, their job overnight is to stock, clean, supply everything on that truck. So maybe that's something to implement. You know, do you, do you hire an additional position where I'd people, like to do that job? Thanks. That's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There's two thought processes I think of when I talk about this is a, um, the difference of like a clean PPE versus a dirty. So yeah, yeah, that's that smoky old helmet and whatnot, the tarnished gear. Yeah, cool. It shows a story. It shows where you've been. But then, how much of that is carcinogens we're still carrying around? You know what I mean? How much of that is actually leading to cancer? You know, and this is something where my current organization, they make you clean your gear at least twice a year. You know what I mean? And every time you take a vacation, you've got to turn in your gear and it gets professionally cleaned. You know, yeah, it's hard to do that for other organizations because maybe the resources are not there. It costs money. I get it. You know, but how much does it cost to clean gear versus a, a funeral? You know, or medical fees that you've got to now pay for this for this individual who's built cancer from the carcinogens of his gear. You know, because they're not they're not being forced to take the time to really clean things out. You know, and and how many of those people that you see like kids wearing their their parents gear to take a nice picture but then the gear is dirty and now you've just spread the carcinogens all over the kid all over your car all over your home into this patient's house you know what i mean it's uh you gotta think about the big picture your gear your dirty gear is cancerous plain and simple and they've done tests and there, there are results out there tests out there they're showing yeah dirty gear is cancerous <laughs> so all that stuff that you're not inhaling like it's it's on you, and they talk about now like some departments out there. After every after every fire, they're making them clean out, shower down, and they're they bought saunas for these organizations for people to sweat the carcinogens out of their skin. Yes, please. You know that's the yes, forethought that these organizations should have. Yeah, let me get that. Yeah, let me, let me sign up for that. I'll be in there for like an hour and a half. Well, and how how many people you know? There's For what seventy five percent of this country, if not more, is volunteer paid on call service. So how many people are throwing their shit in their trunk mm -hmm. after a you know a rip and fire, um, going back and going to work, and then like oh I'll get I'll get around to it when I when I have a chance right. I'll get you know get it taken care of or whatever. Um, I have a pickup truck and it goes in the back back of the truck. I like, guess not going in the cab of my truck. Absolutely not. A because it friggin' stinks. Um, sure. but B like, yeah, it's full of cancer. So, uh, you know, that's a, that's a real spot on thing. And I want to shout out to the, uh, and one of the instructors 
that went through our class and he really hit that home with us that guys this you have to take care of your family too it's stuff you have to think about uh it's not just you like you you know cancer is a big deal um and uh was really impressed with how well that struck home with him with us to us so good good that's awesome that's phenomenal. And then the other side of it is that, like, you know, I think one of you guys had talked about it, the professionalism. But, like, broken down gear, dirty old gear, like, to me, your actions mean more than the way you look. You know what I mean? It's important to be professional. You need to clean up. But, like, what I mean by that is smoky helmets is not going to negate how professional you are, how experienced you are. It's how you get there and you treat the same. You know, this ropes tech class I'm in right now, I'm the lowest guy in the totem pole. I'm the most, the most, uh, I'm the youngest in the, on the career to be in this class. And sure, you know, it's the same thing. They know that they're aware of it. So I'm kind of thought I was like, oh, I'm the, the least experienced, so to speak. But then I'm also the guy that's in front of everybody saying, let me show you how to do this. Cause I'm trying to help you. Like I'm, I'm encouraging them to, to maintain it. And some of them are like, I still don't know what to do. And I'm like, all right, let me show you. Because I, I grasp the information right away, and I'm I'm up there. I'm the first like, first guy to go for the iterations. I jump right to it, and it's just like I'm the first to step up and and try to maintain the the cleansiness and the organization of our equipment, you know. And that's to me, it's not it's not about how you look or how you present or what label you get or how many years on the job. It's it's your actions, you know. Oh, I so. like it. as a this is a good segment. I enjoyed this. Uh, that's just my thought. Yeah, no, it's um, yeah. It's good, good conversation to have. Mm-hmm. It's important conversation to have. I know we lost Tyler there. It sounds like he was going to go grab lunch, and he probably lost the uh, connection. Bye. So, Tyler, we see you later. <laughs> so, bye. Deleted. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's that sounds pretty good, man. I know we got like two and a half hours now. I'd like to of, uh, start getting put stuff, into positions where my gear gets dirty. That's That's what I want. That's... That's what I'm looking forward mm, to. You'll get there. Get the... <laughs> you'll get there. I can't say that about myself right boat. now because I'm sitting on a, on a boat. But <laughs> oh, boats Ooh, okay. and right. hoses. Right. Right. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> That's what we do. So you got to get down here, man, and uh, come for a little ride. So. You know, make sure we uh we experience Chicago life. Yep. I know we talked about it for a while, but let's try to plan something in the summer. So anytime you got Slaving what else you got going on tonight? Tyler's working? coming back. Look at that beautiful face right mm. there. Mm. Car seat Welcome and all. Back. Car seat and all. It says your microphone's muted. Uh, Chief Two is too. Chief Two can't get their shit together. I'm so happy for him. <laughs> shit. <laughs> hey, four hundred two radio check. <laughs> <laughs> Open mic, buddy. Oh, no, it's good, man. I think you took off, or we just talked about like um, cleaning your equipment and the importance of it, and how for my organization, like we were mandated to clean our gear at least twice a year. You know, every time we go on vacation, they take it and they clean it. But it's it's hard to do that for other organizations because it costs money and 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 so forth. Um, but then also like. To me, the your actions are more you know, are going to show your professionalism more than your gear. You know, so you're, you're just because you have a salty helmet doesn't mean that you're going to be great at your job. You know, so I don't know. 
well, I had a, lot a call where I didn't have my, I forgot my portable radio uh, up on the dash or whatever. And I get inside and I really could have used it. So I went out and got a shoulder strap and a shoulder mic. And I just, that okay. literally, I have to, I put it on the door of the truck. So I um, put it on before I even get in the truck so mm-hmm. I know that I have it. Uh, just one of those little things, little steps. It's kind of annoying, but I sure. just got to have your equipment ready. Got to be ready. Um, what do you guys think about? Um, Absolutely. I know you're on a fire boat now, so you don't have to do much stretcher fetching. Um, but uh, what? What do you? <laughs> what do you hey, guys we shoot think? Shoot water, baby. Uh, of when you're going in on a medical call, do you bring what? Like what equipment do you bring? Do you bring your stretcher with a monitor on it? Um, for example, my monitor is strapped through oh. the handle, you know, plugged in, whatever, uh, so it's ready to go. Um, I know some people have like a IV kit ready to go, maybe um, like a drug box or something. Like, what do you guys? Uh, what do you guys think? So, like, I um, we have generally we have the power stre- uh, power striker stretchers, so we've got O2 tank put, put on it. Um, and then we've got some, um, um, I always like to have a mega mover on the head of the stretcher. It doesn't take up any room. Um, of course the stretcher clean, ready to go with, uh, linens and stuff on it. And then the, uh, cardiac monitor. Um, that's pretty much what our, our my go-to, unless I know it's like an unresponsive or an arrest or something like that, then we'll throw some more stuff on there. Um, I work with a lot of people who don't have anything. They don't leave an oxygen tank on the stretcher. They don't leave a monitor on the stretcher. It's just an empty stretcher. And then they expect to do all their treatments in the truck or they just make their, you know, partner go grab everything. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Tyler, I'm going to let you go first. The most important thing is an emesis bag. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, it's, it's way, it's, yeah? We're all over the place. How about gloves? Normally, so... But we have first responders, so if it's lower priority and we don't need to take the whole nine yards in because they're hopefully have already done that for us. So, but unknown, unknown situations with no first response, you might as might as well carry take a bunch in. Or, yeah, we don't really take the monitor in too much. But O2 and yeah. Do you remember how I used to run my calls, Tyler? Yeah, a little bit. Used to, I'd, I'd be like a pack mule coming off. Like, the what, what did I used to do? <laughs> you guys ever see that picture that's floating around of like these two EMTs and one yeah. of them is carrying everything, including the clipboard? Yeah, that was me. That was that. They that was that was the way I run things. Is that I carry everything I need, other than narcotics. Okay, that's the last thing I grab. I keep it locked up because we all know people are looking for that and steal it. And if I need it, I, I send my, my crew out. But to me, it was I bring everything because I hate the mentation of like, hopefully something was done. Hopefully the crew there already has their stuff. Yeah, the report that you build with the first responder agencies around you, if you have an influence on them, yeah, you could, you could have that trust. But there's some places where it's like you're just not too sure. And especially here, and I can use this my my experience in, in my current organization, is that there <laughs> I got I got mauled at because I'm like, why people are asking, like, why are you always bring the monitor? Why are you always bringing everything? 
Um, and the one time I followed for the peer pressure because I was a candidate, I left the monitor, we went inside, and I here I am running out back to the engine, grabbing the monitor, and the engineer's like, so what's wrong? He's like, we got a full rest. <laughs> <laughs> so I will never fall for that again. And I will always build my own, my own habits is that if I, whatever call it is, don't always assume. And it goes to a conversation earlier. Don't always assume the scenario until your hands dirty and you're right there with the patient. I rather bring too much need little versus need a lot and not have absolutely it. no stretcher to the door, but unless it's not feasible, uh, just be ready to go. Like it's what these people expect out of us, so. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, no, yep. I absolutely. It's an it, especially with these power stretchers now. It's not even we're lifting anything. Like, come on, guys, like, let's let's be realistic and no. and honestly, like I don't, I do not like making my patients walk. I I mean I do not like if it's it's just not appropriate, not professional. Like, you know, there are occasions where, you know, they're already up walking to the truck when you get there. Yeah, then let them right in the truck. Like, we don't have to go crazy. Um, but there's definitely a, a reasonable, you know, someone's having chest pain. Do not walk my patient out. Like, do not walk that patient out. Nope. You know, that's that's funny you say that because actually, that's actually what influenced me to become a paramedic is that as an EMT and before I knew what I knew now as an EMT and I was under a certain paramedic, um, whose mentation was, okay, let's walk. Hey, let's go. Let's do all this. And I cannot count on both of my hands a number of times that we would stand this patient up. They walk two steps and they collapse. And here I am like, Hmm, Apparently this is not working out. So should we maybe not do this anymore? And it intrigued me. I'm like, what is this? What, why is it happening? And then somebody offered me to go to paramedic school, and I was like, Yep, I I'm a door to door service. Uh, you call, we haul. You know I mean, that's all. And uh, yes, sir. that was one of our my my favorite supervisor I've ever had in my entire life back at Amar in Grand Rapids. Rest his soul. Is a good man. Steve Stevenson. Yes, yep. uh, I believe you're that talking was, about Mr. Steve. Uh, I learned a lot from that man. Yes, sir. Still is. He was a legend. Absolutely, still is. Yes, sir. But no, no. I uh, I bring this situation up because I uh, had a call where my senior paramedic I was working with, which I have a hard time saying that. Um, he uh, he likes to walk people out, and um. I have a big problem with that and it's going to get addressed because it's not appropriate. It's just not. And he's actually an officer too. So sure. it's, it's not a, it's sure. not appropriate. Um, right. so I actually, uh, had a, um, a call with this guy. Um, it was like a trouble breathing, something, you know, he gets out of the truck, walks right up to the, the door, no equipment. Um, begins talking, and it's actually my turn to take this call. We were double medic for the day, which is very unusual. Um, but we did not communicate who was taking the call. He assumed that I was taking the call. Uh, and I assumed I was taking the call because it was my turn. Well, he, he's in there as I'm getting the stretcher out, as I'm struggling to get over the curb and get everything out, because that's just what I do. I get the stretcher out. 
Um, and he's standing in the doorway blocking me from getting inside to do the job. Literally just standing there blocking the door. And I don't know if he did this unintentionally or that's just what he's used to doing when he works EMT paramedic because he knows he's taking the call, so he's got to you know get the information or whatever. Um, and so I just sat there outside, got the stretcher ready, you know, just assisted. I was a good, I'm a great EMT, fantastic EMT. Uh, and I, that, that's what you want me to do. It's fine. Anyway, we get this lady loaded up, get her in the truck. Um, I get the, you know, vitals on her or whatever. And I said, is there anything else I can do for you? And he looked at me like dumbfounded. And I said, dude, uh, is there anything else I can get for you? Like you want to go to whatever hospital, right? Uh, and he just looked at me so defeated and he took the, he ended up taking the call or whatever. Um, it was just like, dude, like I don't, I'll take all the calls. I don't care. We just need to communicate. Um, but if it's my turn to run the call, you're not going to sit there and, you know, do all this stuff, ask all these questions. Um, and then turn around and give it to me. That's not how we're doing this, dude. I'm actually... About to be a higher level licensed paramedic than you are, but I'm never gonna say that to him. You know what I mean? Like I'm not gonna, like I'm not gonna, I'm because I don't have the biggest stick competition. It's never been my thing. Uh, we're we're gonna work together. We're gonna get a job done. We got a we got a job. We're gonna right. get it done. Um, but don't because he asked the questions, med history, allergies, all this other stuff, and I didn't write any of that stuff down because I was outside because he's taking the call. So then we have to sit there and, and ask these patients the same questions over again. And no, that's not how I do things. So if you're going to go in there and you're going to run the call, even if, I do this for EMTs too. Like you're going to go in there and run the call, which I want them to do. But if they're sure. going to be dicks about it, then they're going to be taking the call. <laughs> like, like we're not, no, there's a respect thing there. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't even think he realized that that was an issue. So uh, here the next time I see him, we're going to have a little chit, chit chat, a little chit chat. So, yep. A but, chit chat. Um, it kind of reminded me back in the back in some of the uh, Southern Grand Rapids days, uh, working at a few places where there was some questionable people, including myself. I mean, I'm not against that. I was uh, not a good, not necessarily the best place when I was uh, at that agency, um, and I'd be the first one to say that. But uh, exactly, that was what ten years ago. Live now, and so learn, like I always say. Yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah. can you believe that? I had hair back then. It was down to here. Mm. It's that shit's gone now, but oh so, man. But anyway, I just thought that I'd bring that up. I thought it was kind of interesting. Just uh, just just respect respect who you're working with. Oh, no, good point, man. Like good when point. I work with EMTs or lower level licensures, even MFRs, uh, I'm like, hey guys, what do you got? Tell me what's going on. Just because I'm there doesn't mean I have to take over. Um, I want them to think about what they would do if I wasn't here, you know, and put them in those situations and. Uh, at first, a lot of people are like, "What? Why is is he being lazy? Like, what's he doing?" No, I'm actually I'm comfortable with my skills and what's going on. That we don't, you know, we can take this one step at a time. For sure, man. Glad you said that. I enjoy this job, nine ninety nine point nine percent of the time. <clears throat> and that other one percent, though, that can get pretty rough. Oh, that other one percent is all about the food too. I do enjoy the food. The food's good. It's one th one thing I will say about Flint. It's got to be. Good. Um, I was a little disappointed that they, at least at night, you know, in the evening, there's just not much going on. Like that, uh, we're in Detroit. That was popping. Like there was food everywhere, man. I uh, I'm much better looking now up here than I was down there. That's for sure. 
because uh, there's just no more food options up here like there is down there. So whenever we get sent down there, it's, uh, you know, all right, who are we going to order? You know, we're going to put our order in before we leave the hospital. You know what I mean? Go pick it up. Sure. Good stuff, man. Cool. Any wrapping uh, comments here? Because I know we're almost at three hours. That was hours. a fast three hours. Uh, no, this is a good chat. I just, you know, that's uh, why we're doing this thing, to have a nice it. little conversation, bring up some stuff. Um, stir the pot a little bit. I'm a big fan of that. I should get a tattoo of that. That should be like a little pot or something. Just just like pot stir or like, stir the pot. like a cauldron or something. I don't know. I'll figure something out. We'll, we'll advise on that. Yep. <laughs> Just get a get a, oh, a, a whisk, a spatula, a little like a, beautiful call, a whisk. But um, <laughs> congratulations, Tyler, on uh, oh, yeah. Chief, Chief Two there, Chief Two Spat. It's gonna look good on you. Yeah, congrats, brother. 